If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. This afternoon, the special prosecutor is revealing husband of Cecilia Bernadapa and his niece gave conflicting accounts of the ownership of some 200,000 US dollars, which is part of the unproven amount of money belonging to the former sanitation minister and her husband. Today, as we bring you details uh, in this uh, special report from the office of the special prosecutor, uh, also minority sounding the alarm bell on government's uh, plan uh, to collateralize Ghana's uh, 10 oil field to secure some loan of $431 million from Litasco SA. And the minority side in particular have become aware that the presidency is using coercive force, the power of the presidency to compel GMPC to proceed and execute this loan agreement without parliamentary. And there's more as, uh, of course, the minority in parliament claim that President Akufo directly gave the order to the GNPC to secure this loan facility without parliamentary approval. Uh, what's the reason for this? We'll find out shortly from the minority. Uh, also, the Ghana Union of Traders Association this afternoon is charging members to resist any form of harassment as it accuses the Ghana Revenue Authority and Customs of intimidating many of its members. We will no longer, we will no longer tolerate any such act of intercepting our cargoes after leaving the port.
More from the private sector shortly. This is The Pulse. The Pulse, as always, is brought to you by Global Communities, Dignilu, affordable, safe sanitation for all. We're on YouTube, Facebook, and also at myjoyonline.com. I am blessed as I'm going to join you as independent, fearless, and credible. We'll return with The Pulse shortly. Please stay. where the power distributor is highly indebted. A sinister syndicate lurks in the shadows as greed infiltrates the heart of Ghana's power supply. Join us on a riveting journey as we uncover the shocking truth behind ECG meter allocations. Corruption, deceit, and betrayal. It's a tale that will leave you asking why. This thing is a big moral responsibility and values fight. And thanks for staying with us here on The Pulse. It's time now to cross you over to New York, where President Akufado is delivering his address as part of the debates ongoing at the 78th United Nations General Assembly. We can now uh, cross over as a live feed comes through now with the President addressing the forum. And extends congratulations on your election to preside over the sittings of the 78th session of the General Assembly. Ghana will also use this, the greatest of all platforms, to express the deep condolence and sympathies of our people and government to the peoples and governments of Morocco and Libya over the recent tragic events that have engulfed their countries. I do not need to employ any hyperbole nor fi find any fancy words to state the reality of the situation humanity currently faces. Our world is not a happy place today. Wherever we look, and in whichever area of our lives to which we turn our attention, there is unhappiness, distrust, and loss of confidence in the structures that have guided the governance of the world since the end of the Second World War, nearly eight decades ago. Mr. President, the theme chosen for this meeting is rebuilding trust and reigniting global solidarity, accelerating action on the 2030 Agenda and its Sustainable Development Goals towards peace, prosperity, progress and sustainability for all. The choice of the theme implies that there is general acknowledgement that things are not what they ought to be in our world. The mutual trust among nations that is required to ensure harmony has considerably diminished. The cohesion that we need to build the peace and prosperity 
of our societies is disintegrating and nearing Cold War lows. We do not seem to have any common values on which we can all agree, nor common goals to which we all aspire. The fault lines are not just between poor and rich, or the South and North, or the developed and developing countries. Even within well-established and rich countries, the tensions over trade, climate, political boundaries, and geopolitical spheres of influence are palpable. Long-held definitions are being challenged, and sacred truths and beliefs are being questioned or discarded outright. And in some instances, the deliberate peddling of blatant untruths has become acceptable. This organization, the United Nations under whose auspices we the nations of the world are gathered for the annual review of the world, was established in the belief that our common humanity would be the overriding consideration in dealing with the problems that would invariably arise when we deal with one another. There is no doubt that the organization has achieved a great deal in its 78 years of existence, of which we can all be justifiably proud. But it is also true the reluctance by the nations that were the major powers at the formation of the organization to agree to any reform to reflect present realities has led to the undermining of the credibility of the United Nations and some of its organs, in particular the Security Council. Ghana is currently serving out the second of its two-year term on the Security Council as a non-permanent member. This is the fourth time in the 66 years since we joined the UN, the first post-colonial African nation to do so, that we've had the privilege of serving on the Council. Mr. President, it has been a sad and disappointing experience for us. We have witnessed at first hand, over and over again, that the big powers of the United Nations might be preaching democracy, fairness, and justice around the world, but are happy to practice the opposite here at the United Nations, prioritizing parochial interests over those of humanity. Back in 2017, the first time I addressed the General Assembly as president of my country, I spoke at length on the need to reform for reform of the United Nations and of the Security Council in particular. I said then that the urgent need to reform this organization had been talked about and scheduled for a long time, but somehow we have never found the courage and the will to execute it. I said then that Ghana supports UN reform, especially of the Security Council, as set out in Africa's common position on UN reform based on the Ezzelwini consensus. Mr. President, I said then that the time was low, long overdue to correct the long-standing injustice that the current structure and composition of the United Nations Security Council represent for the nations of Africa. After serving on the Council at this difficult time in the world, our views on the need for reform have been even more strongly reasserted. 
We cannot continue to preach democracy, equality and good governance around the globe. We cannot insist on, insist on peace and justice in the world when our global organization is seen by the majority of its members and the people of the world as hampered by an unjust and unfair structure. Mr. President, the Assembly has quite properly chosen the rebuilding of trust as critical in restoring stability and prosperity to our world. We cannot rebuild that trust when the organization that should bind us is seen by many as helping to perpetuate an unfair world order which is reinforced by an inequitable, dysfunctional global financial architecture. So, President, for the, fast, for the past year and a half, a full-scale war is being waged in the center of Europe. The United Nations appears unwilling or unable to influence the events taking place in Ukraine. Ghana has sat on the Security Council throughout this period and can testify that the global solidarity we seek to reignite under the umbrella of the UN will only happen if and when it sees those who wield the mighty power of veto. And at the moment, there's nothing to show that these countries have any interest or inclination to do so. Ghana still believes that this organization provides the best vehicle for the world to manage its hydro-headed problems, but it can only function effectively and meet our expectations when we reform the pillars upon which it rests. Anything short of that will continue to undermine its credibility. Mr. President, I do not refer to the events in Ukraine and seek to pretend to ignore the tragic events in my own neighborhood of West Africa and the Sahel. Instability in the Sahel and widespread terroristic activities have put West African countries under severe political pressure and economic strain. Several countries in the region have lost vast stretches of territory to the rampaging terrorists. Coup d'etats have reemerged as, as what some mistakenly hope would be the solution to the threats that confront their nations. We in the West African region are trying as best as we can under the very trying conditions we face to deal with the situation. We are convinced that the conflicts that continue to plague our continent and our region, in particular, would be more satisfactorily resolved if the international community was to support, not undermine, the efforts of our regional and continental organizations to deal with them. Africans fought and died in the Second World War in defense of Europe and her allies, who reset the world towards the path of peace and prosperity that their nations and citizens have enjoyed for decades now. It is surely time for the world to reciprocate our, our, in our time of need. Mr. President, we in Ghana are holding firm to our belief in democracy as the best route to build a prosperous nation that is our aim. It is true that the economic dividends that many of our citizens justifiably expect from the democratic process have not come as fast as had been anticipated. 
But we're determined to hold fast to the course because we believe that ultimately it will succeed in delivering freedom and prosperity for the mass of our people. We're also having to countenance for the first time in recent human history not just the question of democracy and a deliberate campaign of disinformation against democracy, but also the propagation of authoritarian rule as a faster route to economic advancement. The belief of young people in democracy as the governance model best suited to build peace and prosperity in our society is under systematic attack. The economic impact of COVID-19 pandemic and the impact of the war in Ukraine have only added to the pressure and the anxiety of our young people. We can also certainly do without having to spend the huge amounts of money we currently spend on security at our northern borders in particular. At this time, unhappily, we feel no sense of the international solidarity that we believe we should receive. It is surely in the interest of the whole world that West Africa should be peaceful and prosperous. We want our young people to be part of a peaceful and prosperous West Africa rather than part of the thousands that arrive at an unwelcoming Europe after perilous journeys across the Sahara and the Mediterranean Sea. Mr. President, we do not seek to shirk any responsibility for the problems we face that are of our own making. And it bears repeating that we are not craving for sympathy and we do not want to be a scar on anybody's conscience. But we cannot, and the world should not pretend that the present-day economic and social conditions of Africa have nothing to do with the historical injustices that have fashioned the structures of the world. It is time to acknowledge openly that much of Europe and the United States have been built from the vast wealth harvested from the sweat tears, blood and horrors of the transatlantic slave trade and the centuries of colonial exploitation. Maybe we should also admit that it cannot be easy to build confident and prosperous societies from nations that for centuries have their natural resources looted and their peoples traded as commodities. For centuries, the world has been unwilling and unable to confront the realities of the consequences of the slave trade. But gradually, this is changing, and it is time to bring the subject of reparations firmly to the fore. Granted, the current generations are not the ones that engage in the slave trade, but that grant in human enterprise was state-sponsored and deliberate, and its benefits are clearly interwoven with the present-day economic architecture of the nations that designed and executed it. Reparations must be paid for the slave trade. No amount of money... No amount of money will ever make up for the horrors, but it would make the point that evil was, was perpetrated that millions of productive Africans were snatched from the embrace of our continent and put to work in the Americas and the Caribbean without compensation for their labor. If there are any hesitations in some minds about the paying of reparations, it is worth considering the fact that when slavery was abolished, 
the slave owners were compensated for the loss of the slaves because the human beings were labeled as property, deemed to be commodities. Surely, this is a matter that the world must confront and can no longer ignore. The African Union has authorized Ghana to hold a global conference on the issue in November in Accra. It is probably also the time to return to that vexed subject of illicit financial outflows out of the continent of Africa. I refer to the report of the panel chaired by the highly respected former South African President Thabo Mbeki on the illicit flow of funds from Africa, which states that Africa is losing annually more than 88 billion United States dollars through illicit financial outflows. Yes, those monies too must be returned to the continent. It is difficult to understand why the recipient countries are comfortable by retaining such funds and are happy to call those countries from whom the monies are taken as corrupt. I believe that a joint task force of the African Union Commission and the OECD Secretariat under the auspices of the United Nations should be charged to find ways of stopping the damaging outflows. Mr. President, before the pandemic, we, like many other parts of the world, were making progress with the 17 SDGs, and we had good reason to believe we would achieve the 2030 target. Today, the picture we have on our performance is not very bright. Most of the 21 targets designated for achievement by 2020 have not been met and we are not on track to achieve many other targets by 2030. According to the 2023 SDG report, just 12% of the SDG targets are on track to be achieved. Progress on 50% of the targets is weak. The most disappointing part is that we have stalled or retrogressed more than 30% of the targets. We need to accelerate action on the entire project. Mr. President, it is within our capacity to turn things round. A good start would be to make the needed changes to the structures of our organization. Then we can rebuild trust and reignite global solidarity. Mr. President, I thank you for your attention. Coming through from New York, where President uh, Kufuando has just delivered uh, his address uh, at the ongoing 78th uh, United Nations General uh, Assembly, uh, touching on a number of issues and for the very first time admitting that democracy has not yielded the dividends that uh, many African countries are on the lookout for. It's a good time to bring in Dr. Ishmael Hnovo, who's the uh, head of advocacy and also. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? 
Sientes la experiencia de poder. La emoción de la libertad. Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA USLRC. Research Fellow for the Afro Global Research Center. Thank you, sir, uh, for spending some time with us. And I'm sure that you've been listening to the president. There are a number of uh, concerns about slave trade, about reparations, and what may happen in the coming days. Uh, also talking about the nation's commitment towards the United Nations uh, SDGs. 2030. Let's start off with the, uh, you know, admission, first of all, from the president that when it comes to democracy, uh, the resultant effect on the West Africa sub-region particularly hasn't been fruitful. You agree with him? Good, good afternoon to your viewers and good afternoon to yourself. Uh, I think the president was spot on when he said that democracy within the sub-region uh, in Africa has not yielded the devil. Because one of the reasons why we come up for democracy is not only to have the freedom to choose leaders, but to choose leaders that are, who are capable of turning around our economic fortunes. But over the last uh, three decades or so of democratic practice in most African nations, you observe that uh, few elites have gotten themselves rich, while the general population uh, is uh, lavish and in poverty. So, yes, he was spot on by saying that, yes, the dividend of democracy, particularly uh, in terms of um, getting people economically empowered, has not been that uh, good in, in the sub-region. And that's why we are having all manner of challenges to democratic rule. Because once democracy uh, doesn't deliver on, 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 on economic benefit, uh, then you create room for people to question the political establishment. So, yes, he was spot on when he made that comment. Uh, but, but the concern for, uh, you know, those looking at it from the other side is that the president was basically silent on the aspect about leadership. The fact that part of the challenge comes from the political class. Um, you have in many neighboring West African countries, um, their political leaders holding on to power beyond a two-term mandate. And that's in spite of the same laws, frameworks that they have limiting those terms. Yeah, the, the, yes, of course, you may make that argument. But then let's look at uh, it the other way, that even in countries where we have regularly changed government, uh, has the economic situation of the citizen improved considerably? The answer is no. Uh, of course, the leadership, the political class, democracies as a system of government is run by people. And it is how people operationalize democracy that will give meaning to it. And over the last three decades. We have seen a situation where um, either the leaders don't understand the, 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 the virtues of democracy, the values of democracy. Therefore, all that is at stake is about elections, winning elections, and going on carrying out policies that sometimes uh, are questionable. So, yes, uh, he, he, you may, we may agree that, yes, he, he has deliberately uh, uh, not spoken about the role of leadership the role of leadership in terms of undermining democracy, in terms of their own activities to undermine the democratic system that are expected to sustain their rule. But again, if we look at those of us who have changed government regularly, yes, we may be a little bit better off, but still, we have a long way to go. If you look at the fact that we still have a, 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 a number of people in, in, in abject poverty, you still have people who go to bed without food, you still have communities without water, and even the way we run democracy, if you look at the, the fight against Galamse, it's obvious that 
the democratic enterprise and the way people assume power and think that power should be used is also a problem for, for fighting Galamse. So uh, you, you have a situation where money is virtually used to run the democratic enterprise. Therefore, those who have money have their way. And therefore, you, you argue that, yes, in, to a point, he, he, he's ignoring the fact that some leaders have taken actions that have led to uh, 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 military coups and other things. But then again, it, all these other countries where elections have become more institutionalized and regular, where we even have the chance to change government, the economic situation is still what it is. It has not significantly improved. What we are seeing is that since the pandemic, things are... Yeah, I see. And now, in his diagnosis of, of the problem, the, the president is linking all of this to slave trade and the history of the global financial architecture. What is the, uh, you know, issue about colonialism and, and our past got to do with where we find ourselves now economically? Some say that if you are indeed in control or in charge of your affairs now, then you should be in control of your economic destiny. Yeah, that is true. But then we must also recognize that uh, as independent states, we have been around for less than 100 years. And the, 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 the road to development can be quite uh, challenging. But then you must look at it from, from, from this angle. Has not significantly changed. That most of our economic systems have been modeled in a way that allow the, the transfer of resources to the advanced nations. So uh, while we may complain about uh, uh, colonialism, we may complain about the slave trade and the effect it have on Africa, uh, you must also look at, have we done anything significant to change the structure of the economies? We are still raw material based. We still export a lot of raw materials. And during the colonial era, we were not actually in charge of some of the deals that we signed. But currently we are in charge. And as we are in charge, it seems like we have not even altered that the existing pattern. So we continue to sign deals that virtually mortgage our resources to, to, to the Western or, or the superpower. So uh, while uh, during slave trade, we may make the argument that we were not in charge and therefore a lot of things went wrong. Currently, we are in charge, but then we are seeing the same pattern of uh, signing deals that virtually give the, 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 the investor a lot of uh, weight over what happens and how resources are exploited. So yes, to, on one breath, it is necessary to raise the argument of slave trade and trying to get reparation for Africa. But on the other hand, it is also more important to look at what we are currently doing. Are the deals we are signing in terms of natural resource exploration favorable to us? Are those deals actually inuring to our benefit? Are our resources still being exploited at our, uh, to our disadvantage. And of course, the answer to most of this is yes. Because you look at places where you, uh, minerals are located in your own background, and then you have 10% stake, and then the investor have almost 90%. Now, then you begin to ask, what exactly is the issue? Can't we put resources, companies, joint ventures together across the West African sub-region to express some of these resources? We are not doing those kind of things. We are all interested in what we call foreign direct investment. As we pursue those, and one of the things that investors are doing is to simply play us against one another. So, for instance, if you're to another country that, uh, due to the need to, to attract foreign direct investment, uh, have a more favorable uh, 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 regime, which, which virtually the favorable here is interpreted to mean the more the investors will get. So, we 
we tend to focus more on foreign direct investment. And we are paying less emphasis as supported by their own government to become global giants. So if you cannot provide a system that allows your own citizens to rise up to become global champions, indeed you continue to, 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 to be at the, at the mercy of the powers that be. Because you need to grow your own economy, you need to raise up who virtually become international. Mm. Uh, if you look at other countries, what they have done with state power, uh, the state has been an essential part of, 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 of the development process. And along the line, we lose control when we decide to implement the structural adjustment programs yeah. where virtually we think that the state is not part of the development process and we follow whatever the, 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 the Western uh, liberal uh, theories to okay. Therefore, there was people withdrawn from every sector of the economy. Dr. But if you look at development history across the world, the state has Uh, and Prof, uh, I thought you would have uh, been wrapping up on, on this uh, point about, you know, the, the uh, debate that the president is talking about having some repatriations paid to the African continent. Let me get your final thoughts on that. Should we be paid as an African country or the, you know, um, other countries across the con continent? Should we be receiving payments now because of the past, the past history relating to issues of slavery and colonialism? Okay, it appears uh, we've lost um, uh, Dr. Uh, Ishmael over there, but uh, certainly points uh, well made uh, about uh, the comments made by the president a couple of uh, hours ago. We'll keep uh, focusing on uh, some of the fallouts of the 78th United Nations General Assembly and bring you updates, but this afternoon as well, uh, there, are, there are some more uh, revelations that we're getting in this uh, special prosecutor's uh, court documents on the former... Uh, Sanitation Minister Cecilia Abna Dapa, uh, as uh, the OSP is now shining some spotlight on the husband of the former minister. The special prosecutor says that uh, there was no evidence uh, to support these claims by the husband of the former minister that 200,000 US dollars uh, was discovered in the house of Cecilia Abna Dapa, uh, which uh, belonged. Uh, to the niece of this minister who's now, as we're being told by the accounts, living abroad. Now, according to the OSP, the said niece could not prove the source of this uh, fund or provide any form of evidence of lawful remittance as being indicated by uh, the minister. That's according to the OSP. So let's get more from Kuku Asante, uh, who uh, has been, you know, uh, going through this document, quite a voluminous one, uh, and uh, each day new revelations, shocking details. We're not saying... And I keep stressing that point that the OSP's account is fully factual. But that's what this investigation is yes. pointing out. Yes, Blazer. In fact, if you look at the elements of these allegations that are made in the court filings of the special prosecutor, it says that the husband of uh, Madame Sladapa, that is Mr. Segufo, in his caution statement to the OSP, attributed ownership of the sum of 200,000 US dollars by the OSP, and which the respondents claim. They erroneously reckoned as allegedly, allegedly stolen from the said resident to his niece, one a queer docker or real doer living in the United States of America. Mr. Sekufo had claimed, yes. telling the OSP, that his niece is in the habit of remitting money to him 
from the United States for the purposes of a construction project in respect of which he acts as consultant. However, the identified niece was unable to provide evidence of the source of the said amounts and evidence of lawful remittance okay. of the said so, sums. So let's break that down for our viewers. Uh, this is the former minister's um, spouse making the, the point that, look, the, the 200,000 U.S. dollars supposedly was sent from abroad, yes. basically. So there were $200,000, mm-hmm. part of which was, were found in the house. Yes. And Mr. Osekufo is making the point that mm. this belonged to my niece, who is in the United States of America. Who's sending money to us. Who's sending money to yes. us for some building project we are doing on her, on her behalf. So the OSP goes and finds this niece of Cecilia Dapai's husband and try to track whether or not there is evidence of that person having been sending money to Mr. Osegufo. Mind you, if in the United States and you are sending money, there are people trail, are you no doing by any of these internationally known remittance agents? Platform. And so there is no trace of that. Plus, the, 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 the other point that is being made is that the niece claimed that she brought the money personally. That's in she carried fiscal cash and brought it to the country. The special prosecutor is asking, if you are even going to do so, you need... Line, you need authorization to be able to carry such huge amounts of Precisely, money. Uh, because so you that see point that inscription all the time, that if you're traveling uh, with, with cash on you above 100,000 U.S. dollars, yes. then you'd have you, to You need declare. to declare it. Yes. And the sticking point of all this is that you, you recall these persons that are said to have stolen money mm-hmm. from Adam Cecilia Dapa, $100,000, yes. uh, $1 million. 200000 is said in the police document to belong to Mr. Segufo, it appears that $200,000 is not lost, actually. And so they claim in that police document in court that the persons, the house helps of Silla yes. Party stolen that money. As we know before, it's, it's, that, that it's was not the true according to the OSP because mm-hmm. that $200,000 was discovered when the OSP officers went to Madame Silla house to search. It was then that Madame, Madame Kufour, who is, hey, Mr. Kufour, who is Silla Dapai's husband, claimed that this amount of money actually belongs to the niece abroad. The OSP is making the point that even after the discovery of this money, Cecilia Dapai and the husband has still not gone to the police to change their earlier story that $200,000 as part of the larger $1 million had been stolen because now we've discovered that. But that's an interesting discovery because uh, all throughout, the the source of the story is these two individuals allegedly making away with a million dollars and some um, euros, as we're being told, later on the lawyers for Cecilia Dapai publicly wrote to, of course, um, us, put it out there in the public, indicating that the amount and the permutations were not correct. But the report indicated that some substantial amount of money was missing. Is it the case that the minister is not able to account or perhaps recollect how much was in this private residence, a reason for which um, they, they are not able to tell how much was stolen? Definitely. In fact, some of the, 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 the information we've been getting from the grapevine is that the amount of money in Cecilia Dapai's house was so much, and some of them, in fact, when the special prosecutor's offices were setting the premises and were unearthing the money, getting the money from all sources, when Cecilia Dapai heard the court documents, was there, and feigned surprise. That is the words the OSP used, that, the special, that, that Madame Cecilia Dapai was surprised that all that amount of money were in the house. She later had to put up a defense for all of them, some of them, mm-hmm. like we discussed yesterday, being citizen allowance, being money from a cosmetic shop. But at the time, initially, when these amounts of money in envelopes, yeah. rubbing, according, to the, goes, according so, to the OSP, according to so, the OSP, so if we're you know drawing the dots, th- this would be the time. Of course, she was asked to report to the office of the special prosecutor. Subsequently, that night, there was a raid on on on, on you know this private residence that we understand. 
This is where all of this is unfolding. This is where all this, all this is unfolding. And like you said, the special prosecutor invited Madame de Sladapa, took a statement, mm-hmm. and the expectation was that maybe Sladapa was going to leave. But she said he, the special prosecutor decided that they were going to leave together with Madame de Sladapa and go to the house and go and search the place. And that is when they unearthed a, a lot okay. of Okay, now the OSP is also making yet another attempt to say, look, this is the reason why I believe the um, you know, accounts, properties, related um, uh, interest that, that we've been looking at must be frozen. I believe that's why the OSP is doing all of this. Yes, the OSP is questioning this court that is going to hear this case on the 18th of October that if you go the same route as the other court did, mm-hmm. you'll be flouting the laws. The OSP says, by combined effects of certain provisions in the OSP Act, all that is required for a court to confirm the freezing orders in question is three matters. One, the respondent in question is being investigated for corruption or corruption-related offense. Two, that a special prosecutor has in writing frozen the property in question. And then three, there are reasonable grounds to believe that a confiscation order shall be made. The special prosecutor is saying that these are all the three reasons he must satisfy. Mm-hmm. He believes he has satisfied all of them, yeah. and he believes a court properly so constituted must look at the basis of these three provisions and allow the special prosecutor to freeze these assets and seize those ones that he has seized for at least the year that is mandated in the law. So, so that within that year, he can now conduct the investigation kind of. and then go ahead and but press But there's out. also another fear here, uh, about what the status of these properties are. They are not fo- frozen, right? Currently, they are frozen again. Because time, the yeah. court right. ordered the special prosecutor to release them to Madame de He did. He, he did. And then immediately seized the properties again and froze those bank accounts, some of which have had the dead brother of the Sladapa sending money according to, those to the, according the OSP. To the OSP. I must we we need to be that. very cautious about Yes. Mm-hmm. And so currently, this amount of money, the ones that were personally taken mm-hmm. and discovered in Madame de Sladapa's house by the OSP, yeah. has been taken into custody by the OSP. Mm-hmm. The bank accounts have all now been frozen awaiting that 8th, 18th October hearing where the court will now be seized with the facts and will now make a decision as to whether or not this seizure and confirmation is warranted. Uh, but in all of this, have we heard from the lawyers of Cecilia Bernadette? I asked this question yesterday. It's very crucial that we hear from them, and that's why I'm asking you today as well. Yes, we have been trying as a media house. We've been trying all we can to try and get Madame Zilladapa to, to, to comment on these allegations that have been made by the special prosecutor. It's been running the media since yesterday. Our information is that Madame Sladapa and the lawyers do not want to comment publicly on this. The expectation is that very soon, they will file their own affidavit in opposition to this application filed by the special prosecutor. When that is done, they can now fully appreciate the facts and then put out their own version. Definitely, we'll be on the lookout if we get a document and a special prosecutor is challenged on the basis of this fact by Cecilia Dapa and her lawyers, will definitely bring that to viewers. Mm. And Kweku, you've been uh, following quite a lot that's happening, uh, not just about the uh, court case, uh, because we're also getting indication that the minority in Parliament is uh, sounding an alarm bell on government's uh, plan to actually uh, collateralize Ghana's uh, stake in the 10 oil fields to secure a loan of uh, close to some $431.5 million just before uh, Parliament went on recess. We know that GMPC sought approval uh, from the Might and Energy Committee to borrow more than $600 million. Uh, but the committee uh, asked the company 
to bring the terms and conditions of this loan before the House uh, so that consideration can be done on that. The minority is now alleging that President Kufando has asked GNPC to borrow more than $400 million without approval from... Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Parliament. Yes, the minority spokesperson on Might and Energy, John Genapo. If we allow this government to plunder our oil resources, it will affect future generations. As if this is not enough, another document that was intercepted at the board level of the GMPC has five main components. The deed of indebtedness, the joint crude oil supply and purchase agreement, the prepayment facility agreement, the guarantee facility agreement, and the crude oil supply and purchase agreement. The key in this has to do with the fact that GMPC is raising this facility from Letasco and Look Oil, and in return, they are giving out our oil to this company for the next five and a half years. Indeed, all of the oil in the 10 fields has been encumbered including royalties, including surface rentals, and our carried and participating interest. All of it for the next five and a half years would be escrowed to this company. More importantly, every year, a minimum of 3.8 million barrels of our crude oil will be given to Letasco for this loan that is being raised. No one even knows what exactly they want to use the money for, apart from some repayment of debt. In addition to that, they are charging an interest of sofa plus margin. And when you look at the document, and I refer you to page five of the document, apart from the sofa, the margin goes up to about 9.5% in respect of tranche B. So you pay the sofa rate and add 9.5% on that amount. This is mind-boggling. You cannot plunder our oil resources in the way and manner in which the Akufado government is going about. This is a government that received over $1.4 billion of oil receipts last year. The highest ever. And yet despite receiving all these huge revenues from our oil sales, you want to take 400 million today and mortgage our future for the next five and a half years and escrow the whole of the 10 filled oil. And when the 10 filled oil is not even enough, 
in this agreement, they are committing that they can extend it to other oils. Well, parliamentary correspondent Kukwasanti is still uh, here with us. And uh, it's so <laughs> good that uh, coincidentally you're looking at this document about Cecilia Bernadette. And now uh, the minority in parliament is raising these uh, concerns as well. Uh, for those who do not have the background about this deal, um, what was GMPC looking for from parliament? So annually, parliament is expected to approve what is called the work plan of GMPC. That is what GMPC expects to do in the year and how much money they need to do that. Normally, it may, come up, it, may, it may come up with a few loan agreements so that they can get enough funds to, to be able to do their projects. So when GMPC brought their work plan, they had about $600 million. They wanted the Mines and Energy Committee to approve, recommend to the House for approval. Parliament at the time, through the committee, told GMPC that you need to go back and bring us the full terms and conditions that we can put that before the House. But that was just before Parliament went on recess. Now that Parliament is on break and GMPC cannot come and put this document before them for approval, it appears GMPC has been working. And the allegation by the minority through John Ginapo is that the president of the republic has given GMPC an approval to go ahead and borrow without parliamentary approval. He did that while, while away in New York? That, that, is, that, is the, that is the conversation that is okay. being had. And in fact, they have been before. In, we never know. Yes, yeah. it appears the, the, the meeting was held mm-hmm. before the president traveled. Okay. Right. And there are minutes that the, the, the NECMPs are putting out. Oh, yeah. They're unable to confirm the authenticity right. yet. Yeah. But they claim that the president sat in a meeting together mm-hmm. with the chief of staff, his secretary, the ministers of finance, okay. deputy minister for energy, and agreed that this must be held. We can listen to John Jinapo make the point okay. that the president mm-hmm. has unlawfully decided to ask GMPC to go ahead to borrow more. Let's listen. The Parliamentary Select Committee on Mines and Energy, uh, under the chairmanship of Honorable Atachia, submitted the report of the Committee on Mines and Energy on the 2023 work program of the Ghana National Petroleum Corporation, which is GMPC. Indeed, this is a constitutional requirement. And so we consider that in the third session of the Eighth Parliament of the Fourth Republic of Ghana, one of the key issues that came up for consideration was a request by GMPC to raise an amount of $620 million in a form of a loan facility from Letasco. Indeed, Parliament took a decision that it cannot approve that amount in their work program. In fact, Parliament directed, and I read, the committee recommends to GMPC to lay the terms and conditions of the intended loan for consideration of the House in accordance with Article 181 of the Constitution. Ladies and gentlemen, to our utmost shock, I have come across documents, and the minority side in particular have become aware that the presidency is using coercive force, the power of the presidency to compel GMPC to proceed and execute this loan agreement without parliamentary approval. The presidency called a meeting on 14th of September at 11 a.m. GMT. The presidency directed GMPC to seek for board approval and proceed to raise a total amount of 431 million United States dollars without parliamentary approval. I therefore want to call on the GMPC chief executive and the board 
that if you proceed with this directive, you'll be committing an illegality. And the minority wish to serve notice that we shall use every necessary tool available to ensure that we do what is right and legal. Well, these claims, uh, of course, uh, we will verify and bring you some updates and get some response uh, from the presidency. But now let's talk about the private sector. The Ghana Union of Traders uh, this afternoon uh, charging its members to resist any form of harassment and also intimidation from officers of the Ghana Revenue Authority. The union has, amongst other things, accused the Ghana Revenue Authority of intercepting their cargoes and transits from Accra to other parts of the country on allegations of under declaration of some of their goods uh, situation they say is affecting their businesses. Uh, President of uh, the Ghana Union of Traders, Dr. Joseph Bain, has been addressing a press uh, briefing today. It has come to our notice with great concern about the activities of the Ghana Revenue Authority which has formed various task forces that rampantly intercept released cargoes after the cargoes have passed through all clearing processes and procedures at the port in the name of enforcing task compliance as if they don't even trust their own systems of clearance at the port. This happens more to the cargoes going to the Ashanti region. It could be recorded that a few days ago, our Ashanti region branch issued a press conference on this constant harassment and intimidation of traders in the region by GRE officers after their cargoes have passed through the due clearing processes at the port of Tema and released them to them. The GRE cannot assign any cogent reason for the harassment of the traders in the Ashanti region, apart from the usual flimsy explanation that Ashanti region contributes only about 12% to the national revenue. They also claim that they do not understand why goods in Ashanti region are cheaper than those in greater Accra region, failing to recognize the simple fact that Purchasing power and demand for goods and services in Accra are higher than any part of the country. Furthermore, the 12% tax contribution from Asante commensurate with the business activities in that region, as most of the corporate entities with branches in Ashante and other regions pay their taxes in national international capital unfortunately we've been joined now by dr uh Obain, who's uh joining us via zoom thank you doc for uh speaking to us uh, why is it strange for gra and customs to intercept goods uh, after all we know that this is part of their routine um, activities it's part of their mandate isn't it they're simply doing their job ensuring that there's compliance why do you have a challenge with that as guta yeah, when they are doing occasional checkups, that is uh, acceptable. Maybe when you are operating on tip-offs. But when it becomes ramp, um, you do it at rampant, then it's not correct. So random checking, yes. But this is what they do by the day. 
and it is not acceptable, and we cannot accept it. Because, you know, the goods that we import, when we bring it at the thermal port, they are in detention. You know that when we bring goods at the thermal port, it is detained until they have scrutinized it and verified all um, documentation before handing us with the duties that we pay. We do not examine the goods ourselves. The goods that have been in detention at the thermal port are in the hands of well-trained uh, professionals um, um, and custom officers who do that. And after they have been relieved and released from this detention and come out of the thermal port, then you detain it again. What sense does it make? Does it make sense to you? Doc, I'm just wondering. This, yeah, I'm just wondering if you've been engaging GRA on, on all of these concerns ever since, and and, yeah, and we've the fact been talking that ever since our brothers and sisters in Kumasi have been crying. In fact, Kumasi businesses is collapsing. Most of them are relocating to Accra because there is no fairness in this. That um, one region should be targeted, and all this thing is going because we've um, um, contacted mm-hmm. GRA on this issue with the uh, Commissioner of Customs itself, we've made a, a program, a very big program, where all stakeholders, including all GRA officials, including BNI, including Ministry of Trade, and all the uh, Ministry of Finance and all that in Kumase, now what they call the Lancet Hotel, that's Golden Tilly. It was a big, and we all converge in this hotel and talk about why they should harass or uh, detain goods that have already been released uh, by their own customers. So all that we are saying is that we do not have any problem at all for customers to do all their due diligences at the port when our goods are detained with them. They scrutinize it, and whatever amount that they want us to pay, they let us pay. But when goods leave the port of Tema, and then they come and detain us again, that is uncomfortable. That is not a civilization. You wouldn't see this in any civilized country. Okay, there, there are Let's lots of it. people. There yeah, are lots of people. Yeah, there are lots of people watching us now, Doc, who uh, may not be in the industry, the same industry you find yourself. So they are not able to picture what's happening. Give give us a sense of how rampant this is. Um, how often you, you have you know the snap checks and uh, people stopping or intercepting your cargos? They do it by the day. They do it by the day, and the commercial people have been crying. The commercial people some, sometimes having paid their legitimate duty at the port. Then their own officials also intercede and uh, intercept the goods and say that the, what you paid to our officers at the port is not correct. But, but how can they uh, do this to us? And they make us as scapegoats and play us um, as pupils. This is not fair. Um, and, and in a free uh, country like Ghana, we are not in a police state. How can, how can we do a business in freedom? Especially when you, you have all the opportunity to assess our goods at the port. The goods sometimes are detained at the port as long as two weeks for you to do all your verification and all that. So when it comes out, immediately it comes out and you say that uh, whatever has gone out in the port, inside the port is not correct. Then, of course, we have a problem. If you want to revamp the port, if you think that your own system is not working, then the, the, the blame shouldn't come to me. Then you have to revamp your port. 
uh, or your clearing system. Okay. The, 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 yeah, the, the argument is that within the window of the law, there's a um, you know, possibility of back taxing you. I don't know if I'm using the terminology right. Could that not be maybe that legal option that, that you find GRA officials taking advantage of? No. But it, it means that then the wrongs that you are doing at the port is more than the rights. If you do that, then um, it, 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 it does not put GRA in, in the uh, uh, good um, light that you are doing the right thing. So you do this randomly or um, occasionally when you think that something has gone wrong. But if about 80%, 90%, you still have to do this, then there's something obviously wrong with your clearing system. That one, will you have to put the blame on the innocent trader? We do not examine ourselves. So in any, how, wherever you see it, it is not in good light, even for the image of GRE, that they should be seen, that they trust their own institution, that they should be seen, that they have efficient systems in place, that they should be seen, that uh, we are legitimate customers of them, and that they are serving... They are, they are giving us service rather than uh, uh, putting us in the light as a common criminals and all that. Because we okay. do not examine us. It is not fair. So goods that are taking their time, go whenever we bring goods at the port, they are in detention. And if they are in the detention in the hands of customs. So it should not be said that goods that we have detained for scrutiny and all that comes out and you detain it again. We are not going to... Okay, uh, what, will be, what will be the next line of action And now that you've raised the concern? You, you have told us also that, um, you know, on the sidelines, you've tried reaching out to GRA, you've engaged the commissioner, and yet the officers on the ground continue to do this. So what will be the next line of action then? They are very much aware of this. These complaints have come especially the, the customs held in Kumase, we've engaged her so many times. She's a, a lady. And we have done all these things. We have meetings with uh, Commissioner. We've done all these things. And all, what they say normally is that um, the, um, the, uh, the, the tax that comes from the region is uh, less. But if 12% is coming from our central region, it commensurates with what activities there. Kumase uh, is only a dwelling on trading. And then the goods that they bring in Kumase, their custom charges at the uh, at the port does not discriminate. So when they 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 clear container for Kumase people, it has not got different value, does it? You clear it, and it's the same values that you give to the people of Accra, uh, Tema, and elsewhere. So how can you say that um, uh, Kumasi people are the one to blame and all that? It, that? There's nothing to understand about this, and so we are not saying that. They do not do some of these checks. But when it becomes so rampant, then, of course, it's indictment on their own um, activity at the port. It's indictment, the fact that there's inefficient mm-hmm. efficiency in the port. But I don't think that they are indicting their own system. So if the system is not correct for you, and what, what, what is going wrong? What is wrong? Who is doing the wrong? Is it the perfect... That is doing their work at the port, or is it the trader who is learning his goods? Who made the wrong? Let's find that and then put this thing in proper perspective. We do not have any problem that our goods are scrutinized to the core 
and then let us pay whatever amount that we want us to pay is better. Yeah, I was then, about asking you that question. That I mean, it's as though you're holding, you know, the brief for simply your members, believing their side of the story and completely neglecting what it is that the Ghana Revenue Authority may also have to say about the entire process. So all the clearance of goods for that is meant for Kumasi are, are not uh, um, uh, well documented Th- or that, what? That's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm no, just saying but, that you simply, that, you're simply that, believing, that, entirely no, believing the story no, of your members. Let's put it yes. in, in this perspective. Okay. That if there is discrimination at the port in the first place, that when they clear goods, the values they give to the people in the Ashanti region and beyond, don't, don't, don't think that it's only for the Kumasi people, because some of them transport their goods through that corridor to Tsunami, to Tamale, and all these uh, places, and they are all suffering this fate. It is not fair. And this is uh, something that we've talked about it all this time. So... Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Uh, if they, they, they tell us that whatever goods from Kumasi come, they should subject it to scrutiny at the port. And they do whatever they want to do. And when they clear it, they don't have to offload the goods. Where they will suffer breakages, where some of the goods are perishable, they have to suffer the 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 time, the time. Because drug facilitation is time, ease, and cost of doing business. So when you impede in any of this, you are disturbing the growth of business in that region. And so that aside, we also talk about the VAT invigilation, where um, um, offic- uh, officials have been going uh, to a, a member shop and all that. We've always said that the structure of the VAT is not correct. It's not uniform. And it doesn't exist anywhere in the world. When we have uh, a VAT system that is in three forms, that of the flat rate, that of the standard rate, and those who are not captured to pay the VAT itself, all of us compounded in one space of trading. And how, how fair is it? And there's no compulsion on the part. Because mm. Don't forget that it's a consumption tax. It's not for the people to pay. All the people in Kumase, all the people in Accra, um, and Mankasim, Tamale, all the traders in the informal space are using their own fiscal money to go and pay VAT for, uh, because they don't want to be harassed. The, the consumer is not even ready to accept the VAT charges. Because of these disparities that I'm talking about, because in the market, um, DRA have uh, uh, have also legitimized those people who do not have to collect the VAT, and the co- consumer has option to buy from wherever he wants, and then the consumer uh, uses the discretion to buy from where the VAT is not being charged. So, are you saying that you are 
you are punishing those people who have made to register for VAT. Are they, is that what they are trying to say? Mm. That's why we are saying that we are not going to allow ourselves to be victimized against by, by, by official dog, unless they have been able to restructure the VAT system to ensure conformity, to ensure uniformity, to ensure that it brings compliance. If we do not do that, then those people who have registered into the VAT are naturally being punished and being taken as scapegoats. So let's make the structure well, bring fairness, because we are all trading, and we are in the same space, and then one is charging 22% VAT, another is charging 4% VAT, and yet another is not charging at all, all and it's all legal. Mm. In the same space, does it happen in UK? You, when you go to Dubai, if it is five percent, it's across the board, and everybody is charging, and it's um, it's also compulsory um, for the for the consumer. Okay. This is a consumption tax, and there's no policy to that bring compulsion on the part of the consuming public to receive that invoice. What okay. system is this? And then you go and punish people unnecessarily. And this is what we say we are not going to allow and accept that. We won't do that. Okay. And we have told our members to resist. And that, uh, if it persists, then of course, um, the, the, uh, we, we know what to do. We, we have our members. It's not that we don't want to pay taxes, but we want to pay tax where it is fair. Okay. We want well. to pay tax that will, uh, will ensure that government has its worth. We want to pay tax where our businesses are not collapsed. But taxes are not structured to destroy businesses. That's not how taxes are structured. So the VAT should be uh, restructured, made simplified, uh, made uniform, and then made uh, affordable so that compliance will be so high. When we say that tax to GDP in the sub-region, ours is the lowest. It is true. Because the other regions, their tax levels are low. And so compliance is high. Always we are being surprised with high taxes. And so it does not ensure compliance. The key to having revenue, to achieve your revenue target, is compliance. They are right. never thinking about mm. compliance. They are, all that they are thinking is to lump up taxes upon taxes on the same few people who otherwise uh, uh, have been captured or who could have even grown. Because they have captured them into the system, That's and the right. same people who they put these taxes and who they intimidate, embarrass, yeah. and then suppress them and suppress their growth. Oh. How are you going to help us achieve a tax to GDP yeah. of 80 when you are suppressing I, I, I can imagine uh, the frustration from the uh, business community. Dr. Alvin, grateful for your time. We'll definitely uh, get through to the Ghana Revenue Authority and to get their response as well. We've tried that. Uh, not successful uh, as, as of now. Uh, but we'll bring you uh, reactions in our subsequent uh, bulletins. But for now, we need to stay on the economy as well because uh, Finance Minister Ken Ofereta in the uh, 2023 mid-year budget review slashed Ghana's GDP growth uh, by some uh, from 2.8% to 1.5%, signaling that uh, the economy was expected to grow, but uh, not as uh, initially projected. So this afternoon, uh, the just-released GDP figures by the Ghana Statistical Service is indicating to us that there's a decline, actually, in growth of the Ghanaian economy with the industry sector uh, recording some negative growth. Again, uh, construction, electricity, and manufacturing 
are all contracted, uh, of course, and we know the government statistician, Professor Samuel Kwabunayanim, has been uh, speaking to the press about it, indicating uh, that for the first quarter, growth rate um, from the earlier 4.2% declined to 3.3%. Listen. In the second quarter of 2023, from both an oil perspective and a non-oil perspective, the economy grew by 3.2%. From an oil perspective, the 3.2% that we've recorded for the second quarter of 2023 indicates a 0.1 slowdown relative to what we recorded in the first quarter of 2023. In the first quarter of 2023, the economy grew by 3.3%. And in the last quarter of 2022, the economy grew by 3.7%. Over these three quarters, the 3.2 indicates the lowest growth rate as the economy grew by 3.7 in the last quarter of 2022 and 3.3 in the, last, in the first quarter of 2023. From a non-oil perspective, the 3.2 growth rate that has been recorded for the second quarter of 2023 indicates a slowdown relative to the last two quarters as from as from a non-oil perspective, in the last quarter of 2022, the economy grew by 4.3%, increased marginally to 4.4% in the first quarter of 2023, and a dip of 1.2 percentage points to 3.2 growth, growth rate non-oil perspective for the second quarter of 2023. Growth rate across the different sectors, the agricultural sector for the second quarter of 2023 grew by 6.0%, and also the services sector grew by 6.3% for the second quarter of 2023. While we saw a growth rate for agricultural and services sector, respectively 6.0 and 6.3% for the second quarter of 2023, the industrial sector contracted by 1.9% for the second quarter of 2023. These growth rates relative to the average for the period 2014 quarter one to second quarter 2023, we see increases for the second quarter of 2023 for agricultural and services, and services sectors, while we see a slowdown or a contraction for the industry sector as it contracted by 1.9% relative to an average of 3.9% for the industry sector for the period first quarter 2014 to second quarter 2023. Let's look at the implication now as we further break down the figures uh, released by the Statistical Service. Uh, joining us now is data uh, analyst uh, Isaac of VAG with uh, the Joy uh, News uh, team. Uh, Isaac, um, fresh figures, but yeah, we're getting bits and bits of uh, info as the hours go by. But uh, the you know, headliner is that we're not growing as we, we should. What for you, and, and that should be your personal assessment of the fact is, well, is accounting for what, why, we're, why we're here, here today. In the media budget review made you know, a tall list of revisions, not just the GDP, but mm -hmm. we revised up our inflation target. Also, uh, you know, our import cover, everything was revised downwards. So the finance minister, in fact, revised our GDP growth rate for 2023 from that 2.8 that was actually projected in November 2022 to 1.5%. This was in line with the IMF targets of 1.5 by the end of 2023. But we are hoping that starting from 2024, 2025, 2026, yeah. when the IMF program is finally over, we should see uh, growth rates revamping. But 
What we see currently is a slight dip, about 0.1%, but in economic terms, is very significant uh, in the second quarter GDP. So it simply means that you are comparing the GDP uh, in the second quarter of this year to the GDP in the second quarter of 2022. And if you do that, uh, that will be comparing 3.5 in 2022 to now um, 3.2 in 2023. And so there's some sort of slight decline in the economy slowing down but, but don't, even if you go uh, a step back as we're seeing on the screens right yeah. now quarter two 2021 uh, was way higher yeah yeah it, it was higher. four four point five correct so, so you are looking uh, at the non oil i think yes you look at the blue okay yes four, the, the four, red four point four four point five yes yeah four point four right yes mm-hmm. no it's five five four point five i think it was relatively high yeah that's why we say that the economy is currently on a certain sort of you know slow down but it's as expected because the overall gdp for the entire year has been revised to 1.5 and so you should expect some of this you know um sector by sector you know decline but let me go through the sector by sector analysis because it's important very important putting focus on probably the industry sector so let's start with the agri sector it grew by 1.3 percent in the second quarter of 2023 under the agri sector, there were three, you know, subsectors that recorded, um, you know, expansions. We have fishing, 2.8%, livestock, 1.4%, crops and cocoa, 1.3%. But there were other, there's one subsector that recorded a decline or a contraction, which is forestry and logging. And we all know the problem going yeah. on with illegal mining. Mm-hmm. Recorded a contraction of a significant 1.1% in the second quarter of 2023. Industry sector is still recording negative growth. It's still shrinking. Recorded a shrinking of 0.8% in the second quarter of 2023. It was only mining and quarry that recorded 0.8 expansion. But if you look at the yeah, and what's more worrying, just before we get to that yeah. as- aspect or um, you know, space, you-, you can tell clearly that it's also having an effect on uh, imports and exports. Absolutely. Yeah. Because just, just look at, just look at uh, the, the chart on the screen right now. It's a services sector that's currently driving the, the economy, economy, which is dangerous. Which, which first used to be agri and even industry, mm-hmm. which is supposed to probably employ majority of the uh, workforce. And to produce more locally. Produce production and then also help to bring down inflation. Yeah. It's currently... Uh, you know, um, uh, contracting or it's currently, you know, shrinking. That is why you have Guta and Co. are saying that the taxes and some other things that probably are affecting. GSS just released PPI yeah. and it's still very high. CPI is also high. Inflation and other things are still very high. Depreciation of the CD. But it's important to know that if you look at the construction cent- uh, sector, subsector, for instance, mm-hmm. it's shrunk by 3.1%, very significant. Electricity by 1.2%, manufacturing 0.1%, and water supply management and uh, remediation activities by 0.8%. Now, services sector uh, recorded some massive you know, growth by 2.6% in the second quarter of 2020. But blessed, the government statistician also revised, you know, the first, the first quarter GDP Figure was yeah. uh, I think around 4.2 percent. Yes, 4.2. It has been revised from that 4.2 to now so no, 3.3. 3. 3. 3. Yes. And the government has explained why they have to do this revision. It was because 
in the first quarter, the provisional data that they had, they uh, pegged, you know, the services sector growth rate at around, I think, 10%. But now, upon revisions, they are looking at um, somewhere around 6%. Yeah. And so there is a need to revise that 4.2% to 3.1%. Okay. You know what? The, the viewer out there is asking the question, so what's the outlook for me, <laughs> my personal economy? I mean, that's, that's what Mahat is saying. Well, well I, I said it. I'm not surprised yeah. because we are still going to do probably a third round of a DDEP. Mm-hmm. And all of these is supposed to... We, are, we measure GDP by production. Yeah. I mean, if so, if you are, if you are measuring GDP by production... And, uh, you know, the sub-sectors in your economy are being, you know, mm-hmm. battered with DDP, debt restructuring, and a whole lot of things like, you know, other things like inflation, then you certainly don't expect your economy. So I agree with the IMF when they say the economy will grow at 1.5. The finance ministry or government yeah, said we're going fighting to that 2.8. They realized that this was not going to be realistic. But let's look at this. If you're able to record an additional, mm-hmm. maybe a figure about, Three percent in the third quarter, then probably we may beat. Um, we may the probably term. grow more than one point five uh, at the end of the year. But as it stands now, there's some sort of slight decline, or yeah. you know, the in terms of our economic yeah. expansion. But things are, are are looking good, especially in the services sector. Yeah. But in the industry sector, it's not looking good at all. I like to keep the balance because we're positive if our industries are active. Yeah. Th- that's, you know, the bane of every developing economy uh, when you don't have your in- industries uh, functioning well. We've we heard from, for instance, the um, AGI point out on countless occasions that what's happening to the Ghanaian economy, they are be- bearing the brands the more mm-hmm. because everything seems to affect them the more. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, if you just like Joseph Obin was saying, yeah. if you go to the port, you are subject to a whole lot of, you know, um, scrutiny. Not just that, but your import duty has also been increased. Apart from that, you also have this depreciation that you have to deal with. Your capital that you are working with, just because of depreciation, you may have lost significant uh, amount of it. When you bring the goods into the economy, people, people are not able to purchase because inflation, inflation is also high. Their, 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 their purchasing power. So... The, the Ghanaian economy is, is in some sort of crisis, but I hope that, and I believe that, um, you know, we'll come out of it. Um, if you look at this IMF program and probably the PCPEC program, yeah. if you're able to, you know, implement some of the, the, the policies that we say we're going to do and cut down on cost and wastage and do debt restructuring properly. Mm. Properly. Because, I mean, mm. that's all we can hope for. Yeah. We, can, we can just hope that yeah. things will, will get better yeah. some way, somehow. Uh, if it's by magic or but I mean Nigeria is beating us in terms is, of yeah. inflation. I mean, they, I think they're around twenty-four percent or so. We are still hoping around forty yeah. percent. And I mean, the, we are we are in this together. We were all affected. Together, by, you say? Well. Some people are allowed to Interesting. Anyway, uh, Isaac Obiege, let me spare you, of course, uh, the trouble. Thank you for uh, updating us on this latest figures we're receiving from the Ghana Surgical Service. You're watching the polls here on the Join News Channel. When we get back, we have some more stories for you. Please stay.
Daddy. Daddy. <sighs> this tank is big. Yes, that's true. It can store a lot of water. That's so true. Wow. It has a working surface like this. Mm -hmm. That's so true. I can see F I N T E X syntax. That is so true, my daughter. When it falls down, it will spoil. That's not true. But why? Why? <laughs> Syntex was the first to introduce double layer tanks in Ghana. Syntex again was the first to introduce white inner layers in Ghana. Syntex gives you the biggest warranty seven years. No matter your water needs, Syntex is the answer. Syntex tank. Are you strong? Are you tough? Smile, hmm? Look lively, okay? Smile, smile. Is the money too small? A bad stomach ruins your day. Don't let it. Take Gastron, your most effective antacid, for the relief of symptoms of peptic ulcer, heartburn, gas pain, flatulence, and indigestion. Hey guys, what are you waiting for? Let's go, let's go. Mwah. Can you bring down the smiles more? <laughs> Gastrol, effective relief from stomach discomfort. Manufactured and distributed by NS Chemist Limited. This advertisement has been written approved by... Hello, my name is Abeiku Agri Santana. If there's anything that makes my life so easy, it is my bank. I love hanging out with my boys' boys at our usual fufu joint. But even without cash, we still the job better with EcoBank Mobile. No matter the time of day, my bank helps me stay in touch with my beautiful wife whenever she's away. And when my beautiful wife is in town, she never misses out on her favorite TV shows because I'm able to pay up all my TV subscriptions from the comfort of my mobile phone. Whenever she has to get groceries too, my bank makes it cashless and convenient. And the part my wife loves the most is when my bank makes it possible and easy for her to shop from any part of the world without moving. <laughs> Welcome to the smart world of EcoBank. Download EcoBank Mobile from Google Play Store or the App Store and discover the smart way to bank. EcoBank, the Pan-African Bank. And you're welcome back. Former Police Commissioner George Alexander Mensah is warming up to delegates of the New Patriotic Party in his bid to represent the, the choir constituency in the upcoming parliamentary elections. Uh, his road safety campaign in the area has uh, sought his popularity amongst constituents. At least five people have declared their intention to contest in the New Patriotic uh, Party's parliamentary primaries uh, as the incumbent Joseph Osei also prepares to take a bow. Nanai Aljima has been visiting the constituency after George and Lex Mensah declared his intentions and filed this report. 
The first deputy speaker of parliament, Joseph Osewusu, is expected to exit parliament after serving the Bakwai constituency since 2009. This decision has since emboldened about five people to put themselves up for the upcoming parliamentary primary in Bakwai. COP, George Alex Mensah, who recently appeared before the parliamentary committee over an alleged plot to oust the Inspector General of Police answered questions bordering his political affiliation. You have been an MPP member long time before you joined the service, is that correct? <laughs> Mr. Chairman, my family has been with the UP tradition ever since I was born. And now. Upon his retirement from the police service last week, his interest in becoming the MP was confirmed. And Ramkwanta is the biggest transit point in the Bakwai constituency. To the people here, Alex Mensah is known as the police officer who has shown interest in road safety campaigns. Stickers of the campaign are widespread. He has helped educate all the drivers here. In the local language, he breaks down all the traffic regulations. Station master at Anyankwanta, Kwejobuatin Papalupa, speaks of Alex Mensah's popularity among the people. We are hoping that the COP comes and continue what the present MP is doing. We need people of such caliber to come and help develop Bekwai. If the COP becomes MP, the recent MP can also climb up the political ladder to help us. Joy News sources reveal a campaign team of the aspirant has already started engaging party delegates. He has met us. We decided to keep the campaign very low due to the flag bearership race. Immediately nominations are opened, the campaign will be enhanced. It is believed that some party bigwigs are galvanizing support for the campaign. For Joy News, Nanaya Ojima reporting. And now between 20 and 30% of tobacco products on Ghana's markets are all uh, from the areas uh, which we know to be uh, presenting some challenges to industry uh, players. Now, this was uh, actually uh, reviewed uh, by the head of Tobacco and Substance Abuse Directorate at the Food and Drugs Authority, Dr. Uh, Olivia Ejekuma-Bwating. She actually made the revelations that the opening uh, of a three-day stakeholder engagement on illicit tobacco flow uh, this morning. The following report for you. A three-day workshop has been attended by stakeholders from the Ministry of Health, World Health Organization, Ghana Immigration Service, civil society organizations, among others, 
and is aimed at fashioning out modalities towards implementing the World Health Organization's Framework Convention on Tobacco Control in Ghana. Speaking to the media on the sidelines, Head of Tobacco and Substances of Abuse Directorate at the Food and Drugs Authority FDA, Dr. Olivia Jekumwabwaten, bemoaned the growing spate of illicit tobacco trade and the need to combat it. The baseline studies that academia have done so far says that is about 20 to 30 percent in country and this particularly a global problem is not peculiar to only Ghana. So um, what the illicit ones should have are graphic health warnings that are allowable or have been designated by Food and Drugs Authority. It should have minimum age restriction that is 18. It should be labeled clearly in only English. But we realize that those that normally are illicit wouldn't have gone through regulation. They won't have the graphic health warnings. They wouldn't have undergone laboratory investigations. Some even have um, labeling in French. And what this does is they are competitively cheaper and uh, youth are able to get these products. And it would, all the gains we've done so far in tobacco, if we do not concentrate on getting rid of illicit, all the gains will come to zero. The World Health Organization's Coordinator for Development Assistance, Andrew Black, believes the full implementation of the World Health Organization's framework Convention on Tobacco Control will, among other things, help shore up government revenue. If we uh, if we were to uh, eliminate all of the illicit tobacco in Ghana, that would have extremely uh, high benefits for uh, for tax revenues. Uh, will bring more country more money into the uh, in, into the, the government's uh, revenues that can be spent uh, by the government uh, for the benefit of the people of Ghana. On his part, the executive director of programs at the Vision for alternative development, Lavrant Musa believes, without enhanced awareness and stringent measures in place, implementation of the WHO's protocols on illicit tobacco trade could be counterproductive. As far as I'm concerned, um, I would I don't want to be the prophet of doomed, um, but I, I don't see much you know much progress unless we are able to put systems in place to ensure we are able to control our borders very well. Because currently, if you speak to many of the border control points, they are either not aware of some of the distinctive you know, features of the, you know, of the tobacco products, which also means that we need to do more awareness creation, train the custom officials, the GRA officials, so that they are able to detect you know, these products. When I know the GRA have apps that you can use to, you know, to detect illicit products, but the point is that uh, there are a lot of you know, illicit products around our borders. So, if we are able to, you know, to consciously, you know, um, put mechanisms in place, ensure that we are able to manage our border, put officials there, train them, then we will see some headway. A participant from the Ghana Immigration Service, however, believes that three-day stakeholder deliberations will help curb the menace. Uh, our borders are considered very porous, so we also conduct a lot of patrols along these points. Um, I believe that Joy News uh, recently, uh, you covered our story where we see about six, 4,000 slabs of uh, marijuana in UV. Well, this is, uh, workshop is very helpful to the Ghana Immigration Service because it gives us the knowledge. It also in the space. So FDA, customs, uh, special prosecutor, and uh, the Ghana Police Service and all other agencies that work within the space. A 
2020 report pegged Ghana's tobacco consumption at 4.8 and 0.3% among male adults and women respectively. This puts prevalence of tobacco smoking at 2.6% at the national level. Carlos Galonis reports for Joy News. Now, Chief Executive Officer of the Kolobu Teaching Hospital, Dr. Poko Wariamposa, has expressed uh, some deep concerns over the rising incidences of uh, ban cases uh, in the country. Uh, he noted that a significant portion of these recorded uh, domestic ban cases primarily involve children. Dr. Amposa emphasized uh, the importance of parents uh, exercising some level of caution regarding their children's proximity to open flames and underscored the critical need for prioritizing fire safety measures. There's more in the following report. A burn is an injury to the skin and other organic tissue primarily caused by heat or due to radiation, radioactivity, friction or contact with chemicals. In Ghana, the number of burn cases recorded continue to increase, especially among children. The chief executive officer of the Kolebu Teaching Hospital, Dr. Opoku Ariampoma, speaking at the opening ceremony of a workshop organized by the International Network for Training, Education and Research in Burns on Advanced Burn Care Rehabilitation, described the situation as worrying. But uh, the number of burn cases in Ghana is still quite worrying, and uh, it's happening mostly at the domestic level, and we are seeing it from uh, hot water. You know, for the children, the, the pediatric population, we see a lot of burns from hot soup. You know, like during the rainy season, in the morning, people want to prepare uh, hot water to go and bath, and the way it is handled. So most of the accidents with uh, hot water occurs in the kitchen and the bathroom most of the time. And then for the older population, we are seeing a number of uh, burn cases, or significant number of burn cases from, uh, you know, the use of uh, gas. You know, many people don't understand how to use gas properly, even where the gas is located, because it's not supposed to be in an enclosed space. You know, and so, uh, and then sometimes when they even the gas is leaking, instead of changing the regulator, they would rather put a stone on it or try and do some adjustments on their own. Some of the cylinders are expired, the valves are not working well, you know, so these are all some of the challenges. He also cautioned parents to be mindful of their children around fire and other harmful substances and also advocated the promotion of fire safety among Ghanaians as a way of checking the increasing cases. And sometimes general safety with fires, both in the workplace and other, uh, you know, we are, we, as a society, we need to be very conscious of the fact that fire is an existing uh, potential hazard that can occur at any time so that we all very careful make sure that we prevent fires as much as possible. And then when the fires do happen, for instance, we must know what first aid we should give. You know, most of the time, before people get to hospital, they've applied all sorts of concoctions and ointments to it, which actually makes the, this condition worse. The workshop is aimed at delivering advanced burn care rehabilitation training and building leadership through training future trainers alongside building confidence and skills to provide the best therapy possible, despite limited resources. Alberta Roxon is the Deputy Chief Physiotherapist at the Kulibu Teaching Hospital and the lead for the Interbens Rehabilitation. What we seek to achieve at Interbens with this five-day long training is to be able to improve upon burn care in as many low-middle-income countries as possible. As At this training, we have about 13 countries being represented and we have 
participants from United Arab Emirates as well. We hope to be able to improve upon their hands-on skills in managing of bent patients to improve health outcomes with the patient groups that they have to handle. The five-day workshop brought together therapists working in low-resource settings from across Africa to equip them with the necessary skills to give effective treatment and rehabilitation to bend patients. Prince Kwame Kudugas reports read to you. Well, let's look at some of the developments uh, elsewhere across the world as European leaders are discussing measures to deal with the high number of arrivals of refugees. The Italian island, uh, as we know it, has become an epicenter with uh, a sharp rise in the arrivals uh, by boat. Now, more than 7,000 uh, landed uh, recently uh, at the island's permanent population. Now, European uh, Commission President uh, Van Leyen uh, has visited the island and promised a plan to deal with the situation. The arrivals are generating political pressure across the European Union. Joining us now is uh, Thomas Sparrow, uh, uh, has, who has more on this uh, for us. Thomas, what does the 10-point plan include? Share the details with us. Short term, the plan includes in particular help towards Italy, Italian authorities and authorities in the island of Lampedusa to help those who have already arrived. In other words, to register them, to then refer them to the specific authorities that will continue to deal with them as they move to other parts of Italy and to other parts of uh, Europe. So that's the sort of urgent element in the plan. If you look at medium to maybe long term uh, proposals in that 10-point plan presented by EU Commission leader Ursula von der Leyen. You can see in particular the issue of Frontex. Frontex is the external border agency of the European Union and the plans include stepping up efforts by Frontex to fight people smugglers. Another important element is working closer with countries of origin and transit in northern Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa as well. Some of the countries involved there, some of the countries mentioned in that 10-point plan include Tunisia, which is a very important country of transit, but, other, but also other countries of origin, including Burkina Faso, Cote d'Ivoire, Senegal and Guinea. Realistic, um, you know, the plan is and how are other countries such as uh, Germany uh, reacting? It's an important question whether this plan is realistic because we've seen in the past that European leaders and European countries do not necessarily see eye to eye when it comes to migration. So bringing these plans to fruition, making them realistic is definitely the next challenge for European authorities. Also for authorities in several of the countries that are most affected. Germany is one of the countries that is most affected by the arrival of uh, refugees because many of those who arrive, for example, in Lampedusa want to actually move further north. They want to go to other countries like Germany. So Germany has certainly seen an increase in the arrival of asylum seekers compared to 2022. And this has meant 
that also here in Germany there has been a very big debate as to what authorities should do to help those in need, but also to help local, regional and national authorities that are trying, obviously, to deal with this situation. One of the issues that is being discussed is a possible upper limit for the number of refugees, an issue that was also debated, by the way, in 2015 and 2016 during the so-called refugee crisis. But this is an issue that, for now, the German government is not planning to introduce. Okay, uh, grateful and thanks uh, for joining us with the latest uh, and all the best uh, from Berlin. That's all um, we have for you in this package of the polls. I am blessed as we're going to log on to myjoraline.com. We have updates for you. Next is Let's Talk Showbiz.